Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it is that time again. It is team preview season. We got to talk about the Canes a little bit, and there's only one person we could possibly think to bring in that could tell us about the Canes in proper basketball conference fashion. Cam Underwood, State of the U. Uh, this is a special occasion because not only do we get to preview Miami on the evening of August the 2nd, but we also get to make fun of Florida State extensively at the top of this podcast due to events that happened today. And when the, when the listeners get this podcast, it's going to be like mid-August, so they're well aware of what's going on. Um, but we get to kind of react to this almost in real time. This happened a few hours ago with Florida State basically trying to um, declare that they're leaving the ACC without being able to do a damn thing about it. And uh, Cam, as a Miami alum, you hate Florida State, so you're perfect for this discussion <laughs> as well. Yeah, man. Uh, glad to be here. Always good to see you guys. And, uh, you know, talking about the Canes is something that I love. And then, you know, dumping on Florida State, uh, you know, uh, is also something that brings me great joy, uh, and I'm well practiced at. So, uh, getting to do both of those things with two of my good friends, uh, I am here for. So, yeah, man, let's uh, you know, tee it high and let it fly. For for those unaware, we're, we're recording this, and, and why would anybody be aware? We're recording this the evening of Wednesday, August the second, and it's funny because we we're recording this just a handful of hours after Mike and I recorded the Virginia Tech preview uh, with David Cunningham. And the thing about that is that we got done recording, and then within about an hour, I had a, a, a text from Mike of like, oh boy, like, you know, realignment, the whole thing's going down. I was like, what? Open up Twitter. It turns out that Florida State had like a Board of Regents meeting or something, and uh, there were some, some leadership from Florida State and some Board and of Trustees Joey, members. Joey, not, not to cut you off, but like the first part of that meeting apparently was just like passing budgetary stuff, and all the reporters on the call who got the link were like, Okay, so did they just trick here? us into watching them approve a budget that included some private planes? And everybody's like, oh, you know what those private planes mean? It means that, you know, you're going to use them to send your non-revenue sports across the country. Uh, that was like the running joke on Twitter um, until Florida State's president opened his mouth. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, Mike, I don't actually know like how the whole order of events happened, but all I know is all of a sudden I opened up Twitter and I'm just flooded with quotes from various Florida State-related people about basically puffing yeah. their chests out about, oh, you know, it's we're, we're going to be leaving the ACC and, uh, you know, we, we, we just can't stay competitive if we're not making more money and, and a whole bunch of nonsense that just – Look, maybe we're making Florida State fans feel better about themselves, and maybe we're kind of, you know, this feels a little bit like a pep rally situation more than like an actual practical uh, discussion of their, their their tactical plan here. This is just a lot of, you know, they were just talking, you know, like, oh, we're going to do this, and we're ready to do this, and blah, blah, blah. And I said this, you know, while we were getting, uh, you know, just chatting it up before we hit record, which we do for usually like, I don't know. 45 minutes, an hour, you know, just letting you guys behind the curtain, you know. These are friends of mine, and, you know, we get together and we talk. We catch up, but, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like I said then, like, you know, basically Florida State, like, if y'all feeling froggy, then jump, you know. But, like, <laughs> yeah. where, like first of all, where are you going to go and what are you going to do, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, hey, we're going to go. We're going to go. Hey, we're talking about it. We're talking about it. Talk about it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. And you're going to drop that $300 million and have the grant of rights with the ACC that goes until – you know, five ever, you know, so you're not going to get 
that you're not going to get out of that. Like they will let you out of the conference, but like your ground rights is going to stay with them. Like they would yeah, be pay that baby, like, right? They're still going to collect the money based upon wherever you're playing. So thanks for that. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's just like you're you're just calling like selling wolf tickets, bro. Like you're just you know. Blowing hot air, which apparently, I mean, that's uh, apparently what they do up in Tallinnassie, you know, that is the state capital, so all of the filibustering and uh, politicking that goes on up there. This seems just like an extension of that, but like, yeah, you know, they're just talking to talk and hear their own voices and like, I mean, I have a great voice and I know y'all love listening to it, but like, they don't, so like, shut it up. Yeah, and Florida State's president, who I will refer to... um so eloquently as Dick McCullough, because that's how he was coming <laughs> off during the press conference today. Um, he was talking about how uh, they were going to exit, and you know the ACC needs to do something about their revenue sharing to you know more greatly benefit Florida State. Florida State, by the way, since they won their national championship, uh, courtesy of Larry Williams from Tiger Illustrated, Clemson publication. Um, Florida State is thirty-two and thirty-two in the ACC the last eight seasons since they last won their national championship. So. So and Joey tweeted this as well, and I I just want to bring this to light. Um, what exactly is the ACC keeping Florida State from doing, right? Because if I'm not mistaken, the ACC champion two out of the last five years, the the ACC champion has gone on to win the national championship, right, in Clemson, and they appeared in another national championship six years ago. Like the ACC has been fine they've been in the college football playoff they've won national championships it just hasn't been florida state since 2014 um joey like what exactly is the acc keeping florida state from doing that was your question i think it was Mm -hmm. a good one yeah it's you know we were talking about how there's like a million simpsons references that can be made at any point florida state feels a little bit like they're that one where is it is it Bart or Millhouse or someone's riding a bike and they reach down, they stick a stick in their spokes and immediately fall off the bike and they're holding their knee. That's Florida State right now. Like nobody's keeping y'all from doing anything. Like you, you know, you you have every gift in the world to to take this on and you know to be the best team in this conference and you haven't been. We're gonna act like that's because Florida of your State, TV payouts. Right. Sorry to cut you off, but Florida State yeah. has always had such a an inflated view of self. You know, and I will, and I, I said it when you know they they tried to call it like what the magnificent seven of the schools who were looking to get oh, out. Oh yeah, I mean, with with respect to other schools in the conference, uh, which means basically I'm about to kind of down you guys because you're not on the level. The four schools that matter in this mm-hmm. conversation, which is mm-hmm. really about football, are Miami, Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina. And you can debate the Carolina if you want to, but I wouldn't. But you it's, know, those, it, it's from a those brand interest standpoint. Else. The brand interest. We're, yep. Come on. You know what yep. I mean? Agreed. And then they're like, "Oh well, yeah, we're gonna tag on." A, the, shut up. No, you're not. Stop it. No, 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 no. And even before or considering that, Florida State views themselves as just a a measure beyond any of the other institutions in terms of from a brand perspective and everything. And you know what? There may have at a time been truth in that, Um, you know, with Bobby Bowden and all those consecutive top five finishes and Mm -hmm. things, even though, even though during that same run, 
Miami won multiple national championships yep. at the expense of Florida State. And that's how we grew our brand and things like that. You know, Howard Schnellenberger rebranded from the M to the U and, like, you know, all these different kind of things. But I could have seen during the peak of the Florida State run if they were saying, okay, we are bigger, badder than everybody yep. else. Our brand is yep. stronger. So, you know, this is why we should be valued as such and all these kind of things. And, you know, they ran the ACC for all those years, you know, and everything until, you know, that one Thursday night at Virginia uh, with Ward Dunn, who I watching that game, you know, as a teenager in Michigan, I thought he scored. But, okay, cool, fine, whatever. They ruled him short and they lost that game. But this is not then. So now is not the same. So I I think that there's just a lot of hot air bravado. I think that they are – misinformed as to the you know delusions of grandeur that live in their own head not saying that florida state is not a top tier brand it is but so too is miami so too is clemson so too is north carolina and that is where for me it's like shut it up and for everybody i even saw so from the miami perspective i saw there were a couple people a few people were saying you know i wish that miami were as loud and vociferous about Mm -hmm. Wanting to get out of the conference and things and blah, blah, blah. I'll go back. When we hired Dan Radakovich, two-time uh, degree holder from the University of Miami, who worked at the University of Miami before leaving and going to Clemson and helped building up that program, when we hired him back, one of the first acts that he undertook was speaking to the collection of presidents and athletic directors of this conference and putting forward the idea that the revenue from television is not where it needs to be. So I say that to say that literally Florida State stole our rap, stole our flow, word for word, bar for bar. Going about it a different way, but if you look in this iteration in the last two years of all this push and all these movements, go back and look it up. If you're listening, I promise you, the... The information is out there on the interwebs because it lives forever. The first person to bring this to the forefront was Miami Athletic Director Dan Radakovich. So we, Miami, are the ones who put that idea forward. We're the ones who, you know, have started this. And then Florida State said, okay, well, we're going to be the mouthpiece and propagate that. And we're going to yada, da 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 So obviously Miami knows that, I mean, like, the ACC has never done Miami a favor, like a single one. The next favor that ACC does Miami will be the first one. You know what I mean? So I know that our time in the ACC is not long. We want to get out. Like they schedule us poorly. The you know they treat us poorly. You never get the benefit of the doubt on any sport. Uh, you know, on any field when you're away from or, or even in your home. You know, confines here in South Florida. Like I mean, like I, and I can give you example after example. For like in 2015, the week after uh, Al Golden got fired, when you know we lost to Clemson eight million to zero, um, that game at Duke, where they literally went and called Miami for an ACC record number of penalties, called Thomas Sark in the end zone, even though he clearly wasn't, and that was the game with the return with the eight laterals. And I know you're going to remember the eight laterals and everything, mm-hmm. but they actively went. And they called Artie Burns for, I think it was two or three consecutive pass interference penalties on that final drive. Man had perfect coverage, literally stopped on one to put his hands up like, clearly I didn't touch him, he's on the floor, like, but whatever. Through that one, bear in mind, 
he's playing on a Thursday night. The day or eight, I think it was like 36 hours after his mother passed away. God rest her soul. Played through that. You're doing all these things, right? So I say, say again, all of, I can give you example after example after example after example after example of the times the ACC has done Miami dirty, right? We know that we want to go somewhere else. We're just handling it a little different, uh, you know, version and, and uh, style than is Florida State. But, I mean, some of the sentiments are the same, but... I mean, again, I know logically that there are four schools, at least Miami, Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina, with the same or very similar brand valuations. Florida State thinks it is Florida State and the Pips. That is what the ACC used to be. That's not what this current state of affairs is. And like that is the foundation of the thing that really grinds my gears. I was going to say, like, the <laughs> these other conferences, right? Namely, like the SEC and the Big Ten. And. Really, I guess last week the Big Twelve decided that they were going to be like that third conference that was going to try to, you know, get their throw their hat in the ring and not fold. Right? Um, those other conferences, I think, if you polled them, I think would really, really like Clemson over Florida State. Right? Clemson's just handling it a different way. You brought this up with with the Miami point, and I, I just want to argue it from Clemson's perspective, just because. They've won a couple national championships, like in the last five years. Let me argue it from Clemson's point of view. Like, what is what is the SEC or the Big Ten getting out of Florida State that they can't get out of Clemson? Right? They're getting more from Clemson, I'd argue. Right? Like, Florida State. Okay, sure. Maybe they have the the basketball program. Right? That's a little bit better. And you know, assuming that all the sports are are coming over. Uh, all the sports are coming over, right? That revenue and non-revenue sports are coming over, and they're all joining the same conference. Like, maybe historically you have a little bit better basketball program. But this is about football, right? This is about football. And Florida State has one decent year last year. And by the way, I thought they would be the preseason media favorite to win the ACC this year. And they're not. Clemson is. And that surprised me a little bit because I'm probably picking Florida State to win the league. And, uh... Not everybody, I guess, is of that same opinion, which I found interesting. But Florida State has one one decent season last year, right? And all of a sudden, you step back in, and you're expected and, and have this expectation to be a pretty good team this year. And now, all of a sudden, you're going to throw your weight around like you're this, you know, this heavyweight. Like, to your point, Cam, like it's the early to mid-2000s. Like, it's the late mid to late 90s. It's, it's a different time now. Florida State won a national championship in 2014 with a generational college quarterback in Jameis Winston, cool. right? And it's been a long time since Florida State's been that good. This is the first time in a long time they've even been in the conversation not to have a team like that, but to have a team that could be competitive to get back to a college football playoff. They haven't been on that level. That, that 2014 was a BCS national championship. They just haven't even really been in the conversation since then, right? To go and this is the first year. To be an ACC play? Or like... Exactly, yeah. To be an average team in ACC play. I mean, we mentioned earlier there are 500 team since 2015 in conference play, right? And this is the first time they've had those kind of expectations in a long, long time. So now that you have those kind of expectations before the season even kicks off, you're going to throw your weight around like this. By the way, they know that all these conferences are listening. But what's e and Chris Vanini of the Athletic brought this up. This was you know quoting a, a, a article that uh, Stuart Mandel wrote earlier today. Like, what's ESPN's incentive? Because ESPN owns the television rights right for the SEC and the ACC. What is ESPN's incentive for getting Florida State to the SEC? So what? They could pay Florida State double in revenue? They, they don't have to do that. They own their television rights already. 
Like, what's the incentive, right? I, I don't understand what Florida State is trying to do here unless they're trying to get where they're trying to get to a Big Ten. I think the most natural move for them is trying to get to the SEC. And I don't think the incentive for the SEC is necessarily there. I, I was going to bring that up. Was By the way, okay, so Florida State leaves the ACC. Then what? Where are they going? Oh, well, they're going to the SEC. Are you sure? Right. Because, you know, the SEC is basically halfway three-quarters owned by ESPN at this point. ESPN's been in the middle of layoff city, can't figure out the streaming market. Nobody can. It's starting to seem like there might be a little bit of this TV streaming bubble that we've been talking about. You know, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of desire to commit a bunch of extra money. We sure that there's a spot open in the SEC that, you know, Florida State or Clemson or whoever else would go occupy? Ask the Pac-12, Joey, how that how that whole streaming thing's going, right? Because they're trying to do that whole Apple TV deal. Like, ask them how that's going. I, I barely pay Apple TV for Ted Lasso. I am sure as hell not paying it for for uh, the Pac-12. But yeah. I, that's you know, there, there's there's a lot of aspects to this, and I think if you just look at it on the surface and you see some of the comments being made, and the first thought is. Oh God! Like more realignment. The ACC is cooked, and and you know Florida State's going to the SEC. All that? No, no, no. Not that simple. Not that nope. simple. And and honestly, I, I think you're probably being misled. Again, as I mentioned kind of earlier, this whole thing feels like this is a lot of hot air. This is like a pep rally almost. As Cam said, you know, stop talking about it. Be about it. Like. <laughs> Yeah, they've been talking about this the whole offseason. Like, this is at least the third separate event I can think of that Florida State leadership has gotten on a podium with a microphone, with cameras, press, everyone, and been pretty uh, forward about the idea of we're going to leave the ACC. I really don't think you are. You know, and if you do, I really don't know that you're going to like the results. Where are you going? Yeah. Like, very, you, you know, know, look at me, look at me. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm looking, and then it's, yeah, I mean, it's like a toddler, you know, look at me, look at me. And then it's just like, I lifted up my right foot and put it back down on the floor. Look at me, daddy. You saw it. You saw it. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Sienna. Yeah, that was, that was great. Okay. Look at me, look at me. And then you do something else that's very benign. It's just like, okay, we were looking great. You know, well, we'll, we'll <laughs> applaud and yeah, right. proud of you. You know, Hey, cool. But like, and, and that's where I feel that Florida state is like, you have to eventually, talk has to turn into action and you know to mike's point before like yeah they've had one decent year and it was last year and look i'm not going to fault them for beating the teams that there were on their schedule including a putrid miami team and they beat the dog shit out of us my god but like they beat a bunch of bad teams last year and they ran up against a couple few teams that like had a pulse and were halfway decent and you saw what happened so like you know it delusions of grandeur and like just like yeah there's any little sign of things like think if miami would have taken this stance in 2018 after that 2017 season with smoke and mirrors and malik rogier in spite of malik rogier which i came on here multiple times a year and said we're not that good we're not that good we're not that good we're not that good got to 10 and 0 and then lost to <sighs> freshman kenny pickett in <laughs> pittsburgh hell yeah the game that literally catapulted him. I mean, like, yeah, I know that he ended up doing other stuff in his career. Like, that game against that team, it was high on the list of his draft profile to become a first-round draft pick later. Like, go back and look at the draft, like, content. Look at the highlights. Look at the conversation. Look at the statistics. Look at the notes. 
they went back and said, yeah, he did all these things. He was ACC player of the year or near to it and things like that over the four or five years. But remember that first time he came out and played against Miami? He showed da 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 Right? And then Miami His lost that game. 24-year-old, senior year, and that one game as a freshman. <laughs> right. But Miami lost that game, lost in the ACC championship game 35-3 to to Clemson, and then was about to run Wisconsin out of our own barn in the Orange Bowl. Malik Rozier threw the worst interception I've ever seen to a six foot six defensive end in a clean white jersey right in front of him because we went the blackout jerseys for that game. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, and who didn't even make the league, but whatever. But he's right there on like the 15-yard line, threw it right in his bread bucket, basket. Interception, goes the other way. They ended up scoring and then kind of slow grinded that game down with Jonathan Taylor and took over because we're fast, big, you know, we're smaller but faster than them, and we're re- literally running them out of the gym. Uh, and then that went sideways. But I say all that to say, imagine that 10-3 and three season finishing the way that it did against teams with pulses, right? And then the University of Miami taking the same public stance after that season that Florida State is taking now. You would have looked like y'all are out of your ever-loving minds, right? It would have seemed maybe a little disjointed, right? It would have seemed like something that's like, maybe we want to see a little bit more consistent output from y'all, Miami, who have not had a 10-win season since 2003 until 2017, before we re-coronate you as the you getting towards the 01 team to, you know, 89, 87, all these other years. That would have been reasonable, and we would have taken that. But for Florida State, if for for we saying these things of they have not won since and they have only done you know this since and things like that, saying you know maybe you're getting a little too big for your britches, they're pushing back and saying no, y'all are being crazy, y'all are being haters. If I'm a hater, then I'm a hater, but I'm also right. On that note, I think that's enough Florida State talk for the uh, Miami preview. How do we how do we feel, guys? We feel Absolutely. better. I Good I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better. I've never been less excited for college football season with all this realignment stuff to talk about in first week of August. Like, what are we doing here? I am with you. So let's talk about a college football season. Uh, yes, let's do it. <laughs> actual football. Yeah, let's actual it. football. Cam, I, I wanted to start, and, and we we always start talking about the coaching tenure. But I remember, you know, we had you on. I forget if it was February or March. You know, following season one under. Uh, Mario Cristobal, gosh, good start. Um, season one, Mario Cristobal obviously was rough. It was a bit of a mess and and clearly disappointing. You told me, uh, us, the two of us, both. You told Mike too. Um, I was you there. told us he was there. He remembers. You told us that you know we, we asked about success in twenty twenty three, and if I'm not mistaken, what you had said was make a bowl game. Success is six and six, which I. Personally, truthfully, I was kind of shocked to hear coming from a Miami fan, you know, somebody who obviously thinks pretty highly of the program, has for a long time, to say that making a bowl game would be successful in year two was was kind of shocking. Do you still feel that way uh, as we go into the season here at this point? In part, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, making a bowl game is a firm requirement. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think that we're going to find many more wins past six. Uh, the over under I've seen is at seven and a half. That's what most everybody is, is giving. That's what most everybody's discussing. I think that Miami is going to be at that line. So seven and five, eight and four. I don't really see 
I don't see nine or ten or eleven. I don't. I don't see that. I think that there's still flaws with this, you know, team with the composition of the roster, and there's just performance that needs to improve. So, setting a firm floor on making a bowl, yes, I. That is not like the ceiling of my expectations. However, so uh, a little bit over that, but I mean, making a bowl is a clear demarcation that like there's been a step forward because we've won another game. Uh, there's been progress in, in terms of the results. So um, I would say, so basically, yes with an asterisk. Like, making a bowl is a component of a, you know, an improved season. You want to see uh, improvement pretty much across the board statistically. Um, and even if on some of these things, like explosive plays allowed, excuse me, changing the explosive play rate, which was, I believe, dead last in FBS uh, per uh, Bill Connolly's SP+. Um, yeah, Miami's explosiveness, I mean, there was none on offense last year. And I wrote about it after week two, after the Texas A&M game. And, wait, no, before the Texas A&M game, excuse me. Because um, we had the HBCU bye game and then Southern Miss. And that's when I wrote about it. I said, yo, like, there's no explosiveness to to this offense. And people said, oh, you know, it's too early. Like, you know what you're talking about. All the same kind of standard stuff. And that was actually the most explosive that Miami was all year was after those first two games. It literally got worse and worse every single week to the point where, like, it was, I mean – it, 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 was, it was terrible. Like, I, I would say, like, you could just, like, go and hand the ball to the ref, and the ref would, like, take a yard forward, and that would be, like, the explosiveness of the offense. So you want to see growth there. You want to see uh, pretty much in all the metrics. And, I mean, even, for something that was last in the country, like explosiveness, like big plays, like taking the top off, like, you know, you what you think about with Miami, like fast dudes going and being fast and making highlights. Devin Hester. Think of Devin Hester's highlights. Any one of those plays, right, whether it be from scrimmage or special team, you're thinking that's the kind of explosion we want to see. But for Miami, I think for progression in terms of something like that, and there were multiple things that were like damn near in the or in the 120s or lower in the country, you got to go from being terrible to bad, bad to average, average to good. So if you go from the 130s to the 90s 80s in terms of explosiveness that is not where you want it to be but is such a huge step forward that that will hopefully then be borne out in terms of improved performance on the field obviously and then you know a couple extra wins on top of the five that we had so um you know i want to see growth and i want to see the beginning of the foundation of a mindset of who this team is who this pro, who not this year's team is in a vacuum, but what this program desires to be holistically, and that's something that's just kind of been wishy washy for a while. I remember a couple of years ago when I came on after um, Mel Tucker and Michigan State came down here in Manny Diaz's last year, and that was a three point game going into the fourth quarter. They outscored us twenty eight to nothing in the fourth quarter, blew our doors off. That was the day that I was done with everything because literally 
literally after the game, he Mel Tucker went in his post-game press conference and said, we saw on film that they were soft. They were not about the fight. They didn't want it. They tried, and you know, like if the game started at 3.30, so the opposing sideline was in the sun. So they're trying to make it hot. That's okay. We're built for this. We're going to drag them in the ocean and watch them effing drown. Because that's who we are and that's what we do and they're fucking soft. And I said, oh, nah, I can't have that. Right? And so that's pervasive from a programmatic standpoint. Now, obviously, Michigan State did not embody that mentality or performance since then. But that also speaks to how bad it is that you let them, who's not that good, flex on you like that. So I want to see the beginning of, like, who is Miami? Who do we desire to be? And even if the end result comes up a little bit short, I want to say, look, we went toe-to-toe with Clemson. Even if we lost. You know, and, like, I want a Clemson loss that, well, first of all, I want a Clemson win. I just don't think it's going to happen. That's why I started with Clemson loss, just for everybody who's listening. But I would like, I would like a competitive game with Clemson. Because even if you go back to the COVID year, what was the score like? Because it was COVID year, 2020. Eight and three. But we lost that game 42 to 17 with a touchdown late. I would like it under 20. You know, the margin. You know, and I mean, like, that 25-point margin is the closest we've been with Clemson in the longest time. So, great. That was positive growth. But that was... Even some smoke and mirrors because we got a couple scores late there. But, like, I want to see, like, a 14-point game against Clemson. You know, like, maybe we get a score, stopping a score, and it could be something. And we ran out of time, and we don't have the rooms. But, like, that competitive fourth quarter. Yeah, competitive fourth quarter. But, like, that's what I want to see from the program. And I think if you get those things together, some improved performances, some growth towards, you know, improvement on these, you know, areas that were deficient, uh, an overall, you know, mentality shift and, you know, just a, a really wonderful ethos of this team. You put all those things together. I think that you're going to find seven or eight wins, anything past that. I mean, in the regular season, anything past that in the regular season, absolutely bonus. Um, and I would like to win another bowl game cause we've only won one since I've graduated, which is not, or sorry, two, we won one in Oh six. And then won a couple few years ago um, with Mark Richt. So, yeah. Uh, and I graduated from Miami. Yeah, no, I graduated from Miami in 04, and we've won two bowl games since. So, oh, my God. Um, Whoa. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's not been great. It's not been great, guys. Uh, so I, I would like to see another one of those at the end of the season also. Man, whoops. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned the, the Clemson game last year was 40-10. to 10. Clemson, like, for a while there, like, couldn't really move the ball. Um, yeah, competitive would be good. Uh, quarterback. So uh, Miami was 101st last year in points per play. They were 90th in the FPS in yards per play. It was a bad offense. We know it. They had issues at quarterback. What's going on at quarterback, Cam? Is it going to be Tyler Van Dyke? If so, what version are we getting? Is it Curry Brown? Is somebody else? Like who's who's playing quarterback? First of all, it's Jakari. Pretend the U is an A. I don't know why, but oh, it just okay. is. Well, so, that's good now. Uh, yeah, um, he has said that, and that is confirmed. So it's Jakari Brown. Okay. You know, it's spelled with a U. Uh, hey, just letting it be known. Um, 
Also, the defender, the defensive end, uh, number 12, is Jafari, not Jafari Harvey. So, um, yeah, random things. Anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, it's Tyler Van Dyke's show, 10,000%. He's the one-game-ready quarterback that we have, and we're going to ride it till the wheels fall off. Um, Hopefully, the wheels or the shoulder, as it was last year, doesn't fall off uh, again. And... uh, you know, I think that the first thing towards having an improved performance from him is an improved offensive line, and that's going to really be helpful. Last year, sounds familiar, line, Joey. Um, <laughs> yeah, at uh, at points was a sieve. You're playing guys who really shouldn't be playing, uh, and the offense was also just dog water. Like, I mean, just trash, dumpster juice. Um, and so he's Gross. holding the ball, trying to make a play, and you know things like that. And uh, you know he gets sacked and tackled on the shoulder, and uh, yeah, all that came together in a perfect, uh, perfect storm of bad. So we're trying to move past that. I think you're going to find somewhere between 21 and 22 Van Dyke. I know that new offensive coordinator Shannon Dawson wants to do more vertical passing in the passing concepts. Um, from he's an air raid guy, um, has been all around. Uh, you know, and, and coordinate some really dynamic offenses. He also, I mean, like a Mario Cristobal offense is going to run the ball. So be prepared for that. But when we throw it, I think there's going to be very Van Dyke friendly schemes. And that is just so great to hear from everybody all ever since Shannon Dawson got hired famously or infamously after the middle Tennessee shellacking that came at the, uh, after the uh, close loss at Texas A&M, in the bye week Monday presser, former offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis came out and said that it would be then at one in three, okay, four games into the season during the bye week is when he would finally and firstly sit with Tyler Van Dyke and go over the things that he likes and the things that he's good at. Oh, I remember okay. this. Oh I'm not gosh. making it up. Go look. It's on Kane's All Access on YouTube. You can go back and look it up for whatever the date was. He literally came out and said, I'm going to meet with Tyler now to come up. You've been here since January. <laughs> and you're four, five, we're four games past. I mean, like uh, a, a spring. Off, you know, a spring, a full summer, which I know that they, you know, just give them the playbooks. Then you get a fall camp and you get a month's worth of games. And after all of that is when you're going to begin to look and at your star quarterback, a potential first round draft pick coming into the year and ask him, hey, what do you like throwing? What do you throw well? What do you think might this, work? And you came just, out and said that unbidden in front of people? This just confirms. Microphone? This just confirms what we already thought about the Broyles Award. It's a sham <laughs> award, baby. Like, Gaddis is a Broyles Award winner. Was the reigning Broyles Award winner. Reigning, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know what I just mean? won it. It wasn't like I won it 10 years ago. Like, won it right. like a matter of months ago. I remember like, that. A matter of weeks out. before we hired him. Yeah. I, I remember that coming out. I remember Mike and I looking at each other on the podcast and basically being like, what did he mean by that? Because certainly it doesn't mean that he hasn't. <laughs> yeah. Surely, like, it doesn't mean what he, it sounds like he means, right? Like, surely not. Like, what? I, I mean, maybe not at, like, the 
like the firm heart of things. Like I'm sure that he's met with Tyler, but I mean, like to the point where like you have to note it and say, yeah, we're really gonna sit and we're really gonna look at the things that you know he wants to do and he does well. Like, how is that not foundational to how you're building the offense? So I say all that to say, you know, Shannon Dawson has been around many a quarterback uh, who's put up great numbers. Uh, I used to work at Miramar High School, for those of you who are listening, and I was there for Geno Smith's junior and senior years, um, and he put up all kinds of numbers in a Shannon, Dolphin, uh, Shannon Dawson offense at West Virginia. So if you're looking for like vertical passing and things like that, uh, that was an offense that was coordinated by uh, Shannon Dawson there that led to you know quarterback doing very, very well. Um, and there's been many others, but yeah, you know, I, this is the Tyler Van Dyke show. This is the season. Alabama came and tried to get him to go over there, um, transfer there, and he decided he wanted to stay at Miami, which is great because, like, if he would have left, we would have been in trouble. But, yeah, he is the one game-ready guy that we have. It is his show. It's going to have to be his show. And hopefully with a, a passing offense built on concepts that he likes and is good at, uh, we will see improved performance. I won't. I mean, like, I think it's going to be between a 21 and a 22 version of Tyler. I don't think we're going to have every single game with 350 yards and four touchdowns like we did in 21 just because Red Lashley just – Hey, he he wanted to air that. He was like, yo, hey, vertical, go. Um, so it might not be to that level of number, but, like, he'll be – he has he still has the ability to dial that up if and when he needs to. And if you're able to hit vertical shots at times, if you add in, you know, the levels concepts that he loves, if you add in that smash concept, the high-low read concepts that he loves, and, I mean – Literally, when he started on that string in a uh, streak of games in 21, I was just like counting. I was like, yo, they're just running smash, which is, you know, outside cook, uh, hook, inside flag. And it's like, read the defender. Is it, you know, if they're reading zone, does he sink to the flag or does he, or does he jump the curl? Whichever one he does, throw the other one. If it's man to man, throw the outbreaking route and just wait for him to get a step and put the ball on him, you know? And like, if you're able to do that and when he was cooking in 21, we ran smash concept levels concept and the, uh, Mike Leach, uh, four verticals, six concept over and over and over and over. And if we're able to integrate those things in with an improved offensive line, which should hopefully then keep him healthy and also create space for the running game. I think that Tyler Van Dyke can be successful, but yeah, this is 10,000% his team. It is absolutely his show, and we will go as far as he's able to take us, which I think is probably, you know, because of some of the other roster deficiencies, it's probably still only going to be seven or eight wins, but if it's that or better, it's going to be on the, the strength of the right arm of number nine. I, I was going to say, Cam, like I've watched a small fraction of the throws that Tyler Van Dyke has made in games in college so far, and I feel like I have a pretty good idea of the throws that he likes to make. It's it's that vertical passing game. It's you know it's it's those kind of high low reads. Those things like he is really good at those things. It's weird to me that you wouldn't you would be asking him to do a lot of other things than that. Like so that that was yeah. kind of what was kind of stunning to me about that whole situation. But I you know if you look at the the team and the the depth charts here, Cam, like strength of the team wise, you know we've talked about the 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 offensive line a little bit of a concern. Um, I, I we'll, we'll get into maybe the defensive line, you know, defensive front a little bit as well. Is it in is it in the offensive skill group? You know, where do you see the strength of this team going into twenty twenty three? If there's one thing that really carries them, who is it? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, 
We I have no strengths. Like, we have no strengths. <laughs> no, we have, we have some. We have some. But I would say it's, it's probably um, a, a trio of elite players really elevates things. And other guys kind of bring their game up to help them out. So, you know, Tyler Van Dyke, like, say what you will. Like, he is a top whatever in college football quarterback. And he's going to have to really play to that. I think that you're going to need... Uh, performance and leadership again from first team all American safety Cameron Kinchins, uh, switching his number to his high school number of five in the secondary there. Um, and he's going to have to be another elite player, um, a la, I'm not even going to say like a super duper all time greats name because everybody's going to clip that and be like, oh, he's, no, no, no. But you guys could that remember, be? I'm, I, no, or I'm to, or any, because clearly Miami, we have a billion. You can say, oh, I could be, mm, mm, mm. no, I'm not saying any of those names. That's why I didn't even do it there. You're not going to catch me. But Jaquan Johnson was a game changer in the secondary for the Miami Hurricanes when he was here. You know, four-time first team all day, high schooler, you know, still in the league playing for the Buffalo Bills now. But like his junior and senior year, he led that team and he was I mean, he, he was everywhere. And when you needed, like, if if guys broke tackles and they were going to go, you know, for a touchdown, there comes number four to make a play. There he comes with an interception. He had a pick six here, you know, t- tackle for loss there, blitzing, all these different kind of things. But Jaquan Johnson did everything for those defenses his last couple of years. I need Cameron Kinchins to have that kind of a season. Again, because he really had that kind of impact last year. But it was on a bad team. But I need you to continue to have that kind of performance and have that performance hopefully by osmosis raise the level of other guys uh, at his position and others on defense. Um, And then in the third phase, Andres Borgales, uh, continuing the Borgales family kicking dynasty, is one of the best kickers in America. And I think that in in a season where Miami is going to play close games, where the margins are going to be very thin, I think him being an elite level weapon from you know anywhere within 50 yards to just get points you know it's like we're gonna yeah we're gonna kick that long field goal and we're gonna get points here as opposed to going forward and not as opposed to punting it on a short field or things like that you know I think that that is a strength as well and I know that this is probably different than other you know people are, are saying but if you really center everything around those three players on each side of the ball, Tyler Van Dyke on offense, Cameron Kitchens on defense, and Andres Borgales on specials, those guys being stars and playing to an elite level at their position and hopefully having that elevate the team and their teammates around them, that's really a strength um, as opposed to like a positional unit. Weaknesses, offensive line. At least coming into the year, like there could be improvements, yeah. like relative to last year, Cam. But like weaknesses on the roster, areas of concern going into the year are who offensive line, up front offensive defensively, line. or just offensive, offensive line. line. No, offensive line is definitely up there. Um, and you know, Chris Ball played on two national championship offensive lines here, and he's hell bent on changing those things, and you know, in, including uh, five star true freshman Francis Mawagoa at right tackle, which is pretty much a set it and forget it kind of uh, roster move, it seems, because um, he's already started in fall camp with the, the number one group there. Um, that should be an improvement, but like that's an area of concern. Uh, also brought in Javion Cohen from Alabama, who started the last two years there, second team all SEC. Brought in Matt Lee from um, 
UCF second team all um, American conference at center could be an all American uh, type player at that position uh, to anchor things. Uh, so you know we brought in guys to upgrade that that line. So. But, yeah, heading into the season, that's something worth watching. The wide receiver position is also something worth watching. Um, didn't really get um, the the impact player we were looking for in the transfer portal. So we really need the development of guys like a Colby Young, um, which has been seen. Um, guys like a Shamar Jean, who's a Juco transfer, um, uh, as a guy who uh, come in there. Um, Ray Ray Joseph is a, a true freshman. Robbie Washington's a true freshman um, at wide receivers. Those are both smaller guys, but also both fast. So you're looking at those kind of dudes um, uh, to take steps forward as well. On defense, um, linebacker is the biggest question mark for me. Um, Miami is doing a very good job, especially through uh, high school recruiting, of changing that room from – just a visual standpoint. I mean, we brought in four dudes over the course of the last year and a half, or the course, uh, last cycle, um, who are all 6'3", 220, and larger. Um, and it just, you know, you're starting to look like the kind of physical group that they need to, uh, to the point where even, you know, some of the smaller and less athletic guys who are still on scholarship yeah, we've recruited over you, and we're going to go in this different direction. So uh, that that position group on defense is one that's really been glaring for the uh, the lack of performance. Uh, also, cornerback, uh, Miami's really changed that room, uh, even to the point where Chris Graves, who was somebody that I was looking to potentially take a step forward, uh, he did take steps forward into the portal and to Ole Miss. So, uh, but we have added so many different guys in terms of recruiting, and especially in the transfer portal. Um, Jadez Richard from Vanderbilt seems like uh, he's really showing uh, showing out through the summer and the first couple of uh, fall camp practices. Uh, to shore that up. Um, so, like, that's an area. And then, obviously, on the defensive line, you're always just going to have different guys coming in there. So you want to see a Leonard Taylor defensive tackle continue to uh, prove why he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school a couple years ago. And then uh, the name to watch at defensive end. Uh, Akeem Mesador is very good. He was a West Virginia transfer. Jafar I. Harvey, who I mentioned earlier, uh, is another guy. But the guy that I really... If I were to, if there were to be a college football player stock market, I am all in on giving, getting all the stock on number nine, Nigel E. Kelly. He is an 18-year-old sophomore. Um, he played as a, he turned 18 during his freshman year, uh, freshman season, but this is a kid who is just, he's a freak. He just he he plays very he plays quick you know he's big he's 64 245 250 so he has good size to him um he's quick off the edge his great burst um you know he was a terror in the spring game i know it was a kind of you know coordinated uh scenario situation for the spring game there but Nigel e. Kelly i think is going to take capital letters T L capital the leap this year so if i'm buying stock of anybody on the defensive line it's him and getting him to the level where i think he can be with you know all the other players that would be such a big help so uh yeah 
So just to recap, offensive line, wide receiver, linebacker, and then the ever-present uh, defensive line kind of a thing. Those are the issue, and cornerback. Uh, kind of some of the areas that we're looking for growth and development in terms of the roster. But, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal has clearly stated that what we thought when he was hired uh, of the Miami job as a cosmetic reno, like maybe paint a couple walls, change a couple sconces, you know, things like that. He's like, no, this is not even that. This is not even a gut reno. This is a full to the foundation teardown project. And there is the rebuilding that takes time with the roster. So he's had a half a cycle in 22, a full year in cycle and transfer portal in 23. Going to need another year, maybe two, to really get this roster where uh, we want it to be, which is why like, I named five different position groups as things that were not necessarily where we wanted them to be. Um, and I could keep going because I'm not really comfortable anywhere. Uh, well, running back, I'm actually pretty comfortable. Absent injuries, I'm pretty comfortable running back. We are stacked with talent there. Um, and quarterback, I mean, as Tyler goes, we go. Because mm, there's some guys with maybe some potential. But it, it, it got to be Tyler Van Dyke this year. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the rebuild is ongoing. But uh, I think that we can get there. But still work need to be done. I was going to say, I wanted to ask about the, especially the offensive line. You've hit on that a couple times. And to some degree, you kind of alluded to it with the defensive line. The interesting thing that sticks out to me is I think back to Mario Cristobal's teams at Oregon. And I think if, if I had to give you like a defining characteristic is that they were physical. Like yeah. Mario Cristobal wants to run a physical program. As you've said, you know, oh, Tyler Van Dyke, he can throw the ball, you know, as well as he wants Cristobal is going to demand that they run the ball and and be a physical team in the trenches, that kind of thing. And yet, kind of comparing that against if, if basically the whole time we've done this podcast and probably well before, if you ask me to name the top three to four physical teams in the ACC, Miami's not on that list and probably not that close. Like the, the recruiting rankings say, very good in the trenches. My eyes tell me, uh, fine. You know, it's, at least on the defensive line, you know, pretty good in the trenches. Offensive line, eh, and, and my eyes tell me, eh, not that great. So I guess my my question is kind of reconciling this, you know, Chris Paul wants to run a physical program, but that you just, and I know that, you know, a couple of the top recruits were like offensive tackles. Like there's, there's a lot of work being done there, but tell me if I'm wrong. That just is a thing that just kind of takes time. That you know, from year zero to year one, year two, it, it you know it only builds so fast. Yeah, it does take time, and the the beautiful thing is the transfer portal is there to help accelerate that a little bit uh, and level that. And you know, normally you can only bring in twenty five new players a year for the twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four cycles. That's uncapped, so you're able to bring in as many players from high school or transfers, whatever, as long as you don't go over your 85 scholarships. You can bring in as many players as you want. Look at Colorado with Prime. You can see how they're turning 50 new players in there because it's an uncapped year in terms of new incoming players. And Miami's taking advantage of that. So, you know, you bring in um, a Jacob Lichtenstein, uh, who was a sixth-year guy from USC, who's from South Florida, but he comes back. Uh, you bring in... Um, a couple of defensive tackles from like a Georgia Southern and a UAB, you know, like they're not necessarily, you know, 
it's not bringing in Warren Sapp, Russell Maryland, you know, like super duper stars, but guys who can raise the level of physicality because again, in the trenches, especially you need that physical development over time. You need those 21, 22, 23 year old bodies just because like you get that grown man strength, which is different than 18 year old boy strength, you know? So even if you bring in a guy who has some of that physicality, even without the top end overall potential that still raises the level. Like I said, on the offensive line, you know, rundown, you brought in, uh, Javion Cohen from Alabama, who's a grad transfer, that speaks to that, who started there for two years. You bring in Matt Lee, who also is a grad transfer from UCF. Again, he's a 22, 23-year-old guy who was a second-team all-conference performer. And by infusing those guys and you know mixing them with, excuse me, a... Uh, a Zion Nelson at left tackle, who's a fifth-year guy here. Then you uh, have Francis Malgo, a true freshman, 18 years old, whatever. But, I mean, he's like 6'6", 330. Does he still need some of that, like, grown man strength? Yes, but, like, he has the requisite size. He's going to be playing next to Anez Cooper, who's a sophomore, who's like 6'5", 330. Right? And But, again, he's been here for a year, and he has that year of development. So you're going to need to both develop it interior like you know internal to your program and to bridge some of that gap especially in this rebuild uh you know this from the ground up foundational rebuild by sprinkling in those transfers these older guys especially along the offensive and defensive lines that was what will hopefully help accelerate the process a little bit but then add in the right now physicality that Cristobal is looking for because yeah he wants to be able to have a team that is going to be able to put, punch you in the mouth uh, and withstand being punched in the mouth and I think that's really going to be foundational towards that progression yeah I mean do you think the the greater physicality up front in the trenches on both sides of the football do you think that is the surefire sign that the culture is changing in a way that you know i think is is really going to be indicative of whether or not this tenure is going to be successful or not 100 percent, 100 percent, because it's it's so foundational to the core of who mario cristobal is and how he views the game of football like you can't just say oh like a wide receiver made a great catch like yeah that's a great thing and i want that to happen but like that's not like to the core values of the program foundational, like the physicality on both sides of the ball is. So like, yeah, that is absolutely going to really uh, indicate how things are going. And, you know, when, and like you maybe saw it in spurts, and I mean spurts were like one or two plays last year. But, you know, if you think of... And Dan Lanning is doing a very good job continuing what Cristobal had going there in Oregon, right? But you see their offensive line when they're marching down the field, and they're just like they're just kind of standing there, these big giant dudes waiting for the play call to get in, to get into a stance, to go maul somebody across from them, and then you know, the defense is trying to figure it out, figure it out, like what are we going to do? And it's just like what you're going to do, excuse me, is get run over, you know? But like when Miami's offensive line. Just walks up with that saying, like, yeah, do what you do, sub who you want to sub, play the twist games you want to do, like, go ahead. But what's going to happen is we're, like, you are on the train tracks and this train is coming. Every single snap, and you can just see it, even from the still shot on the sideline between snaps, when you see that, and then you also see the play of, 
you know, wow, Henry Parrish or Mark Fletcher or Trevante Citizen, the running back, is like gashing this defense. And Kirk Herbstreit, well, let's wind that back. Let's look. Boom, he gets this down block here, and he pulls around, and we're going to run power. We're gonna, and you see all these things, and all of a sudden the holes open like the Red Sea. You're going to know. That's really, yeah, it's foundational. Like, that is 100% what you're going to look at and what it's going to have to be because it, it was very intentional that in the first recruiting, the first full recruiting class that Cristobal had because he got hired in December and it was like a sprint till, you know, uh, February signing day in 22. But the first full cycle, we signed five offensive linemen, including two five-star tackles. Very intentional. So now this year's class, we're still bringing in offensive linemen because that's foundational to the belief of, you know, Cristobal and how you build a roster. And, like, duh, maybe you get an 18-year-old and, like, he's going to be a three-year, four-year guy. Like, we've had guys who, you know, years down the line end up a second and third team all ACC. They go into the league like John Feliciano. He's played for half the teams in the NFL, right, from Davie Western High School, was a three-star recruit, didn't play a meaningful step in Miami till his third year. Not a single one. But he played third, fourth, and fifth year. He ends up getting drafted in the league. And like I said, to this day, is still in the NFL. So you're going to need to bring some of those guys in. But now, in this recruiting class, the main focus is to do the same thing on the defensive line recruiting that we did in last year's offensive line recruiting class and continue to stack like that. So, yeah, absolutely. You're going to be able to look at the lines of scrimmage and the physicality of the team and listen to you know when the other coaches speak. We might not be there this year, but next year, like, man, that is a tough team to play. They are physical. They fight you between, and, like, they got some big dudes who are mean and tough. When you start to hear those things from opposing coaches and opposing players, you know, before when they're doing their film study, after they play Miami, you're really going to get a sense for the fact of this uh, program having flipped over and changed uh, in the DNA in the way that Mario Cristobal really wants it to be, and hopefully that will lead to improved, uh, you know, performance and success. I think that's probably the right way to look at it, right? Is that this is a to, to steal a term from Stephen Godfrey, who I, I listen to a good amount on Split Zone Duo. Is it's a little bit of the canary in the coal mine, right? Is if maybe not this year, maybe a little bit next year, but certainly by year four, if this is not a definitively physical team in the trenches, there is something really wrong here. Like if 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 Mario Cristobal can't make that happen, there there's probably a serious concern there. Let's take a quick second to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for all things wonderful, wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. They have T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. they got a couple of three-quarter shirts. they got buttons, stickers, all sorts of things. Thanks for men, women, children, something for the whole family. Every Georgia Tech fan in your life can use something from Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, they've got some new things all the time coming. Uh, recently came out with some new player shirts, uh, shirts, you know, shirzies, I guess, as the, as the kids would call them. Uh, things with a logo on the front, a number on the front, and a number on the back, along with a name. They got shirts for both Zach Pyron as well as Dante Smith, who kind of project to be Georgia Tech's starting quarterback and running back this year. So if you want to support those players, I believe they get some NIL money out of it, too. So just, you know, keep that in mind for what it's worth. Uh, they've got the Junior's Grill shirt. They've got all sorts of great, great products there. They've also recently come out with a clearance section. So if you're looking for some T-shirts or a couple of hoodies for a uh, slightly lower price point, go check out the clearance section. Once again, it is section103.com. 
or at section underscore 103 on Instagram. Give them a follow. Check it out. All things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Again, using the official team colors, the official word marks, everything. It is all officially licensed. It is super comfortable, super high quality. I love mine. You will love yours as well. Check out the performance wear if you're, you're looking for things to keep you cool here during the summer. In any case, one more time, that is section103.com, the Internet's best place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. That's it for now. Let's get back to the show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll keep an eye out on that. Cam, let's hit the schedule here real quick. And, and where I always like to start is with the out-of-conference games. And very interesting slate here. you got three games off the bat at home. Miami of Ohio... Texas A&M, Bethune-Cookman, and then at Temple. I mean, for whatever we think of where Miami is as a program, three of these have to be wins. The fourth one, we thought Winnable. was like a battle. Yeah, we thought was a battle of titans last year. Uh, it turned out to be a battle of teams that didn't make bowl games. Um, but I. You know, I, it's it's an interesting out-of-conference slate, to be sure, with three home games, including one against an SEC team that is loaded down with talent and should be at least a uh, a good indicator of kind of where things stand early in the year, I would think. Yeah, um, that was that was a game that Miami could have won in Kyle Field last year. Um, Texas A&M is a very, very talented team. They have a lot of... Uh, especially along the defensive line, but I mean all over the roster, have very talented guys, uh, including a couple guys from down here uh, that they did uh, come into South Florida and pluck away. But yeah, that clearly is the feature game of the non-conference slate. Uh, you know, want to get that get back, hopefully, um, and uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I don't think that you know, and I, I know what happened last year. Obviously, I was there uh, when Middle Tennessee State had a once-in-a-lifetime vertical passing game. And I mean that for pretty much anybody who's still living and breathing. Um, because it's that it, 2013 Auburn magic in there. Like <laughs> It was a once-ever a once performance for their program. I think that they've only seen a handful of performances in terms of vertical passing and explosiveness like in the entire history of and college Cam? football. Like, that was Cam? incredible. Let yes. me tell you. That performance was tailor-made for this podcast, let me tell you. <laughs> I know y'all enjoy, I listened, and boy, yeah, we, we yeah, like, I, I, I was there, and I watched the loss, and then I, I put you guys in my headphones, and I heard another loss, because, like, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it's pretty bad, not gonna lie. I have, um, I just have, I have no doubt we made you laugh more than a few different did. times in there, yeah, so, that's what Absolutely. we're going for. Yeah, no, and that was, uh... One of the recordings that I referenced when I came in, uh, in the middle of the season last year. The, Hi, Cam. Yeah, no, I, I hear it every time, guys. I, <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, I, I was there and I was watching. Um, but, yeah, this has to be 3-1, and one, if not 4-0, in the non-conference through the month of September. Uh, it just absolutely has to be. Um, you know, and especially if you're 
looking at if my personal belief uh going all the way back to the beginning of you know the the conversation i think that miami is going to be right around that seven and a half number so either at seven wins or eight wins and to get there like i think you're going to need to to bank three or four of those wins earlier because as it goes into ACC play, especially with teams that we have struggled against historically, recently, and, you know, projecting, you know, a couple of games that are probably going to be very, you know, challenging for Miami to win this year, you're really going to need to get the wins where you can get them, which I really believe is the month of September. I look at this and... First of all, I agree with everything you just said, especially about the the September banking the September wins to try to get to, uh, you know, not only six wins but but seven, eight. Beyond. Um, yeah. I'm with you. I I'm having trouble seeing Miami maybe get more than eight. I think if if they got more than eight, if they got to eight or greater, I mean that's an unbelievable second season and and a great oh, turnaround yeah. considering where they were at um, when Cristobal took over. But I look at this schedule and. I think all four of those September games are winnable. I would be shocked to see Miami go worse than three and one. That would be that would be shocking to me, even in Miami's mm-hmm. current state. Miami, Ohio, Bethune, Cookman, Temple is terrible. Like I would have. A, where's the second loss there? I, it should be layup, it, layup, layup. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, where should this, be? I, I I understand the Mill Tennessee be. thing. I understand the Mill Tennessee thing, but like. Man, um, okay. So, so let's say let's say three and one. Okay, let's just say for sake of argument, let's say three and one. Um, you know, sure. they're they're at home against A and M, but they're probably not, they they may not be favored. Okay, so let's say let's say three and one. You go into the bye week, right? And then you you draw Georgia Tech in a first year head coach situation at home. Okay, at North Carolina. Th- then then it's tough. You you got to have Play it, up. right? Got to have it. And then m- mid October on. At North Carolina against one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the country, home against Clemson, which at least you get at home, but Clemson will be double better, I think. Dog. Yep, double digit dog. Home against Virginia should should win, but layup. I understand the I understand the historical issues. Should be a layup. Uh, it took four overtimes last year, but you know, let's, no, don't talk about that. It's neither here neither here nor there. Then was the score this, of that game 14-12 in four overtimes? Yeah. Christ. That was which, <laughs> That's that's oh. all I've got to hear to know that what a mess. 14 oh. to 12 in four overtimes. The good the good the bad the, the good the bad the ugly was gold reading that afterwards. It, um <laughs> It's just <laughs> brutal. Um Okay, so this is the defining stretch for me, right? Because I think this really dictates like what's the ceiling on the record. The final stretch of at NC State, at Florida State, home against Louisville, at Boston College. I want to point out two different things here. Um, Florida State obviously going to be a pretty tough game, we think. Louisville, terrible time to get them. At least you get them at home. I guess year one, but like if Louisville has a decent year, um, November, you'd rather have them September and November. And Virginia Tech also draws Louisville, I think, the week before this. I think they draw them the weekend of the 11th, if I'm not mistaken. We recorded that podcast earlier today, and we had a similar conversation where, like, Virginia Tech drawing Louisville in November is tough if they want to make a bowl game, right? Because I think in a year one Brom situation, you'd rather have them earlier. At BC, obviously, very winnable. 
so I look at this schedule and I'm like, and by, bank- the, by the way, not not only Louisville in November, but you're getting it a week after you're in Tallahassee. Yeah, a week after Tallahassee, come home and play that team in November. Like, uh, not ideal on senior yeah. night. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think you know David Cunningham at Tech sideline, who you guys will hear on on the Virginia Tech preview. I think he made a good point about Louisville today, Joe, and we, when we recorded with him, we're like, if Louisville is having a good year, any team that gets him in November is going to be tough, right? But it's also first year Jeff Brom. What if it doesn't go great, right? Like, what if it's not going well? That November matchup might not look as bad as maybe it does on paper going into the year, which I think is totally fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of depends on what that game looks like because that November slate is tough. BC, obviously, very winnable. But you're also going to Chestnut Hill at the end of November with a bunch of players from Florida. Um you know, that's the only way I could see that going sideways if you get a bad weather situation because Miami is a much, much more talented team. This, to me, and I'll just get this out of the way here, this feels like 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. Like, I think we're all kind of going to be in that 6-8 to eight win range. I am with you, Cam, with what you said earlier. If it's 8 or more, that is a phenomenal year given the way things are looking post September 30th bye week <laughs> like the schedule does not lay out too well for Miami. This is a tough tough ACC slate. Just with the way yeah. things are laid with the way things are laid out, you get both Florida State and Clemson, you get NC State on the road. Louisville should be a decent team. Like this is a tough ACC schedule. I have been advocating for Miami to get a later bye week than week 5 for a while and that desire has been left wanting by the ACC conference again like I was talking about not doing Miami any favors and even if you think oh well the bye week isn't a favor yes it is when you have to play you know eight weeks in a row after that so uh yeah but you know it's the the ACC and this is operating you know my brain as a Miami fan has been rewired because, like, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, it shouldn't be. But, like, we're talking about this team, not the teams of, you know, 2001-02 when I was an undergrad. Like, because, you know, one of these things is not like the other. So, you look at, you know, you go to North Carolina. They've won six of the last eight against Miami, including the last four. Is that going to stop this year? I don't know. Are we going to stop Drake May? I mean, like, look, we held Drake May to one of his lowest outputs last year uh, and still found a way to lose that game. Then you have Clemson, who was, you know, Goliath to our David, and I don't know if we have a slingshot with a stone or something to to slay them. So, uh, like I said, I just really honestly want that game to be competitive into the fourth quarter um, or in the fourth quarter, not into and then whatever happens. But, like, yeah, I mean, I would love that game – the margin to be two touchdowns and under. That's what I would love. I don't know if we are there to be able to do that, uh, but that's my goal. Virginia, that has to be a layup. That has to be a win. Um, You know, this is not the Mike London era where we lost to them year after year after year and kept him employed for the better part of, uh, you know, half a decade because... Thanks uh, for that, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, But, like, literally, we lost to them, like, four out of five, including three in a row at one point, I want to say. Then those games pretty exclusively kept him employed there. Um, but, yeah, no, we, we have to have to win that game. NC State, 
that's a tough one, but we've had success against them recently, um, even including a shootout with De'Aaron King in two, uh, 2020. Um, it won't Feels be like an that's easy a, game, but it's a winnable that's a good, game. That's a good barometer for the physicality thing, is playing against yes. NC State. Agree. Absolutely. On the road. Yeah, it, I mean, I agree. It could be, but like we went to into it in 2020 trying to like measure ourselves that way, and then they were like, Oh no, we're going spread and we're going to go up top. And I was like, oh, so we got to, this is a shootout? Okay, cool, cool. Which, you know, played into our hands. But uh, yeah, you know, Dave Doran, he runs a good program there. He's won fewer than eight games twice, including like his first year there. Um, So that's a tough one. Florida State, I mean, that game always is a standalone kind of a game, but that's a a team who blew our doors off uh, last year. Uh, Again, I think that they're very good. I don't think that they're national championship good, but I do think that they're good to the point where, like, it might be a, a mountain too big to climb this year. Louisville, and so, and it's also weird because Miami has our three tentpole teams last, back to back to back, um, as opposed to like mixed up at different weeks. And I know that we're not going to get Florida State the last week of the year on uh, you know rivalry weekend because like they have the Florida game then, uh, so we get them, and then Louisville. Maybe this is my hubris, but like that has to be a win. Like, come hell or high water. Like, and I mean, I could see it not being a win, and I like I I, I could see how it couldn't be. But like, if I'm counting to seven or eight, yeah, I'm you gotta have it. Game. You gotta, I gotta have, it. have that. Gotta have uh, it. Yep. Even though it is openly a, a challenging game, you know, I'm not saying that it'll be easy, but like, if I'm counting to seven or eight wins, gotta, gotta have, have that. And then the Boston College game, same. Gotta have it. On the really road, care. Thanksgiving weekend. Cool, fine. You know, like it's nothing there bad's ever happened there. there <laughs> that makes it tough. I mean, again, that same game in 2017. That's where the perfect season went to go die. Uh, the road, just, you know, down the road weekend. a little bit in Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, Miami loves playing cold weather. You gotta have that. God. God. Say that again. Miami loves playing in cold weather. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, uh, whether we love it or don't, like, you got to go up there, you got to figure that out. And, I mean, against a team that you're so much more talented than, um, you have to you have to find that. So, I mean, in those – so if you're looking – sorry, Joey. Georgia Tech, Virginia, and Boston College, those are three that, like, I mean, I think you can, you can set it and forget it. That means – Miami coming into that game – with momentum off a of bye at home against Georgia Tech, I, I hadn't looked at the Miami schedule before we started this show, truthfully, and I'm looking at it now. I'm like, that that's a loss for the Jackets. Like they're they're not going to Miami, winning that game off a of bye, you know, with yeah. momentum, a whole thing. Like no way. But if you you've had those together, you take the three wins from September. That means from North Carolina, Clemson, NC State, Florida State, and Louisville, you got to get. Two of those five to get to eight. I think that that's doable. It is. I mean, I don't know that we're going to do it. Yeah. But it is not outrageous to say in those five games, go 40% and then you can get to eight. Uh, Yeah. Now the problem comes in on do you actually win? all the games that you're counting as sure wins mm-hmm. because I think yeah. that's where the variance lies to say, okay, instead of the eight, you're at the seven, but either way, I really, I believe the final result for this team is seven and five or yep. eight and four in the regular season. I really, I'm very firm on that. I don't, 
I, I think it's such a small percentage chance that you're going to have a record that's an outlier either way of 7-5 yeah. or 8-4. And, and, and Joey, I'll cede the floor to you so you can kind of get into the details. But, like, I'm going to – I don't think I officially – I, I kind of – sidestepped it i was like yeah six and six or seven and five i'm going seven and five because i think they go three and one september i think miami beats georgia tech virginia and boston college and wins one other random one and and the two i'm looking at is at nc state or home against louisville because i think florida state's a loss i think clemson's a loss i think carolina on the road is going to be really tough i think seven and five is where you get there and even if you lose a random one against like Say you lost to Georgia Tech, or say you lost to Boston College. I think on the road in November is definitely more likely than losing at home to Virginia at the end of October. Like, even if you lost a random one there, I still think Miami can pick off one against Louisville or NC State. Kind of one that maybe on paper looks like a tougher game, but I think they'll pick one of those off to get to seven. Game to eight, I think, would be pushing it for me, just because I think we have to assume Miami is going to win the games they're supposed to. And I'm of the opinion of, like, prove it to me, right? Because we just haven't seen it consistently. So it's just like, hey, prove it before I can, like, see it. But, I mean, it's definitely possible, Cam. I think you laid out a good argument for it. Um, And I think that the path that you mentioned is, like, the path to get to eight. I just think that Miami probably loses one of those that they probably shouldn't lose. And if they lose two, then I think you're looking at six and six. But a six and six floor, if it's worse than six and six, it would shock me just because of the just this the pure talent gap between yeah. Miami and the non-conference schedule especially I mean it, god that, they better get to 6 I mean Jesus Mhm uh, but you guys made a good point though that this this is a tough schedule right like yeah. if you go look at you know some of the SP plus projections there there are four teams in the ACC that are projected higher than Miami and they get all of them right it, it's Cam I, oh, sorry. Um, they get all of them. I mean, you get Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, Louisville, uh, NC State, not that far behind. Like, basically all the teams in the top half of the ACC that were in the media projections that aren't named Miami, pretty much all of them you're playing in this schedule. Yeah. That's yep. that's not ideal, number one. Number two, I, you know, I feel like I make a lot of really insightful comments on this podcast from time to time, Mike. And one of them is, you know, I think that this schedule will be defined by the final seven games that they play in this year. <laughs> oh, by more I, than half the schedule? Who would have thought? I, I just, you know, I look at the stretch of starting, you know, throw the Georgia Tech game out in early October. Start in mid-October and you got at North Carolina, Clemson, Virginia, at NC State, at Florida State, Louisville at Boston College. The sequencing is so bad. It's Getting terrible. Louisville, Louisville after the road trip to Tallahassee, and then turn around and going on the road to Boston College the weekend of Thanksgiving in six days. Is, by the way, short week also going to going to Chestnut week, Hill. You know, yeah. I just this doesn't set up well. And if I'm making so if I'm making a record prediction, I think I'm probably going to go six and six. I, I agree. You know, seven and five. I think definitely, I, I could easily see that. Right? Like, I, the games I would be stunned if Miami lost are Miami of Ohio, Bethune Cookman, Temple, Virginia. Uh, those those are really kind of it. Um, I, I think they should be favored comfortably. They should win against Georgia Tech. Stranger things have happened. Um, certainly could win against you know Boston College, like that kind of thing. But like. You know, we, Cam, I think, mentioned the win total of seven and a half. 
I have a hard time seeing them go over that just with the way that the schedule lays out, unless this team is definitively different than what we saw last year and have seen in the couple years prior. If they so, go four and oh, if they go four and oh in September, I think that's how you get to eight. Bit of a different ball game, yeah. I, then I think I, that's I'm, that's the argument for the over is you go undefeated in September in the non con yeah. beat A and M. And then say, um, I'm baking in a loss to AM, which that might be a little bit premature. Like, right? Agree. Agree. Who's and to say I don't, what A and M's far from the far from the toughest team on the schedule. I mean, <laughs> there there are some games in Te- here like yeah. Texas A and M. By the way, is who we're talking about? Like, yeah, I'd rather ha- I, I, yeah, I'd rather play Texas A and I'd rather play Texas A and M than going on the road at North Carolina. I'd rather play Texas A and M than play Clemson. I'd rather play Texas A and M than going on the road at Florida State. Um, I might take I guess, Carolina I, over A and M, but for what that's worth, anyways. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. I mean, the the I quarterback mean, the quarterback thing is a big. Is it? True. I mean, that's a tough. That that's where I'm at. Yeah. I, I get A and M's more talented across the board, but the quarterback thing is just like hard for me to overlook. Mm-hmm. So no, that's just what I was gonna say. You know, A and M is super talented, so. Uh, but yeah, they do struggle at the quarterback position, and I mean, I can see why. Uh, you know, you could, you would pick either way on like you know wanting ranking them uh, in terms of the top games. So like, so yeah, I mean, let me ask you guys: outside of obviously the, the big two games, which are you know the top ten preseason ranked teams at Florida State and home against Clemson, um, what would be your number three game on the schedule? Is it A and M? Is it North Carolina? Other. I think it's at Carolina. I'll take A&M. Or A&M. Or A&M. <laughs> or I'll A&M. Take A&M. It's, one those, it's one of those two, I think. Yeah. That, that's another example of a team that um, uh, talented, not highly functional. Who knows what the, the Bobby Petrino ad does to that offense or doesn't do. You know, we don't it'll, really know. But it'll be we saw it last year. We, you know, we've talked about it a little bit is the physicality thing. Like, if nothing else, they will line it up and try to, you know, three, cl- three, three yards in a cloud of dust down your throat all night long kind of thing at, at the very worst. Can Miami hold up to that for four quarters? I, w- I, would, I would rather take my chances with that, you know, the Miami secondary against Drake May versus Texas A&M and that, that physicality on both sides of the ball all night. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. I agree. All right. So, but I, yeah. One of those two, for um, sure. For me, if I, you know, I, I've I've said so long here, or, uh, you know, I haven't written it yet, but I'm going to write it for you know State of the U. I said it on Mark Rogers earlier today, and I've said it on Twitter, and you know, in other conversations, like I just really believe that Miami is going to be at that seven and five or eight and four uh, kind of mark. Um, you know, fifteen times bidden, sixteen times shy, I guess. Uh, I'm going to lean on seven and five, so a two-game improvement, um, you know, and like yeah, anything past that is house money, man. That's just absolute gravy, um, and yeah, you know, again, we're talking about like should wins and you know things like that. This team really, and like you know, years ago, I would say you know like seven and five proved me wrong, you know, kind of to like buck the trend because like Miami is so much more talented than these teams. And you would think like nine or 10 wins is what it should be based upon the talent in the roster. But like really honestly and truly, I believe that this team still has growth in front of it. 
I know that this program does. I know that the roster is still being reworked. Um, so yeah, I'm going seven and five, and anything above and past that uh, is really just house money, gravy, all that. Um, and I would love it if we had some of that, but I'm not necessarily sure that we're going to get there. Um, even though you know I did lay out a path to eight that's reasonable, um, I still got to see it happen. Yeah, before I believe it. To win the ones you're supposed to, it's like a big part of this. And yeah, um, I mean, I think if they do that, it's a really good sign, though. I mean, I, I think that's that's the really good sign. You win the ones you're supposed to, even if it ends up being a seven and five season at the end of the day, like. Uh, winning the ones you're supposed to is definitely a step in the right direction, especially what we saw. I mean, Middle Tennessee stays like low hanging fruit, but like that's the example last year, right? Yeah. Like, don't have any of those types of games. Well, Seven it, it, and five. So win it, the games you're supposed to. Sorry, Joey. And then also, for me, going towards you know like where you're talking about earlier a little bit about you know like the DNA of this program changing. Be competitive every single game like there shouldn't be any blowouts yeah. and i mean like i get that it happens and you know like whatever whatever but like eventually to take another step towards being the kind of program that we want to be you're going to have to play a game against clemson where you're within three touchdowns you're going to have to bounce back from and like hey we beat florida state by six touchdowns three years ago then they they beat us two years ago and then they beat us by six touchdowns last year so like you can look within the space of a thousand days or just over and be like, we a beat them by six career. touchdowns. They beat us mm -hmm. by six touchdowns. Cool. But like getting back to, you know, competitive in every single game, um, you know, or, well, I don't even want to say what I was going to say, or have some kind of outstanding scenario, um, some, you know, outlier scenario to, to lead you to a non-competitive result. But, you know, in the course of the last few years, I've seen so many outlier performances of, uh, you know, bad tackling and turnovers. In that game against uh, Duke when we had like eight or nine turnovers, it got to the point where literally all of us bloggers, journalists of all kinds um, were like collectively trying to research and find if that was a school record. And so, like, we had tasked a couple people to go down to the SID crew, and they're like, uh, this is, this, this is, I don't, I, like, they, they honestly were like, we don't know. And I'm like, it's your job to know. So, like, I was scouring the internet for um, box scores from 1942, I want to say, or something, um, to try and see, because, like, it was such an outlier. Like, that's what, and they don't exist. So, it listed the turnovers, or listed the number of turnovers, but not the type. So it had, or it had like interceptions thrown, and it was like seven. And I was like, cool, were there fumbles? Like, I don't know, you know, so like that kind of a thing. But it was such an outlier that literally, I, like we're sitting in the press box doing research back to the 1940s to try to find something of the ilk that we were literally seeing in front of our faces. So um, I say that to say that, you know, I should be careful what I wish for on an outlier performance because... The Miami Hurricanes will deliver it, and I might not enjoy it. I, th that was the one thing I was going to add was, you know, I, th the thing that scares me about the schedule and this program in particular that we're talking about is that Miami historically has had the ability to throw a clunker or two, <laughs> and mm -hmm. this schedule is loaded with teams that if Miami goes out there and throws a clunker, 
they're going to get beat and might get beat bad. So that's that's yeah. the thing is, you know, a game that's like, oh, they got a 40% chance of winning, all of a sudden goes to like 5% or 0%, you know. So that's I think that's a little bit of where my mind is at too is, you know, you got to come out and play a full four quarters against almost every team on this schedule from an ACC standpoint to to have a chance to win yeah. it. Um and do I trust Miami to do that for two straight months? I'm not sure that I do. So that, that's where my mind's at. I, I know for a fact that I don't uh, <laughs> trust Miami uh, as currently constructed to do that for two straight months. But, you know, I openly invite them to prove me wrong and show me different. Um, and I don't mean that in a contentious way. I mean that honestly, because, again, I went to Miami. I am a Miami alum. I bleed orange and green. And I would love nothing more for them to come out and, you know, and, and do the other part of the sentence seven and five and prove me wrong. Do that. Prove me wrong. I will come back on here and I will eat all of the crow and be like, I said it was going to be a 7-5 and five team and we went 10-2 and two and da 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 I would love nothing more than that. I just don't think that that's necessarily realistic. Well, one of these days, one of our teams on this podcast is going to make a bowl game. So uh, we'll, we'll see if that happens this year or <laughs> in future years. God. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Were we all at home in bowl season? Line? Wow. Yes, we were. Nice. Yeah, unfortunately, 3-8 and eight does not get you a bowl bid. Um, we only had one Power 5 win last year, so trying to make it two this year. Be good. I haven't watched a Georgia Tech bowl game since uh, Paul Johnson was retired against uh, P.J. Flex' first Minnesota team that was low-key becoming a wagon for 2019 and uh, – yeah, got disrespected by the Belk Bowl. Should have taken us instead of somebody. I don't remember. Played Auburn. Mm. Was it Wake? Something like that? Anyways, I don't know. Different discussion for a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. That was like the beginning of Tanner Morgan, probably. He's still still there, I'm sure. <laughs> it, it, it was it was early uh, Mo Ibrahim. It was like, oh, yeah, there's this freshman guy named Ibrahim. Turns out he like yeah. led the Big Ten in rushing for two years after that. So. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good yeah, times. Just a Walker Award candidate. No big deal. <laughs> Mike's all I got for Cam. Anything else? I think we're good. Cam, appreciate it, buddy. Tell everybody where to find your stuff. Yeah, man. Always fun to be here with you guys. Uh managing editor of stateoftheu.com, so please come on over and fan with us there and on all socials. We are at the State of the U. Uh, if you're still on uh, the Magic Twitter machine or X or whatever, Z, whatever it is, uh, I'm at Underwood Sports where I'm tweeting about all kinds of random stuff. Random, not as much sports as I used to, but like I'm a renaissance man. I'm interested in lots of different things. So come and get to know me there uh, and all kinds of other places. So uh, as always, man, love you guys. Uh, great, great to see what you're doing. Always, always a pleasure. I will gladly come back on here. Uh, throughout the season, uh, I, I need some the Brian Van Gorder Award or the uh, you know for the U Trides and all kinds of stuff like that and uh, and whatnot. But yeah, you know, like I said, it's always great to be here. Thank you guys so much, and uh, you know, go ACC, go Canes, and uh, all that kind of stuff. I'm personally excited for the return of the Queen Elizabeth II Memorial U Died Award this fall. <laughs> so so bad, <laughs> Jesus. I've got yeah. to take this podcast off my resume. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean the I I got the we got the message from Cam, which was like, just listen to the podcast, Mike. That was so out of pocket. I think was the exact, <laughs> yes. the exact message. Yes, yes. like had to pull into a parking lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh man, oh man. 
Good times, though. Good times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cam, you're the man. Appreciate it, brother. Absolutely. Anytime. Mike, let's get out of here. You want to come back and preview some more teams as we keep going here? Yes, sir. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI, together at BC Podcast ACC. Once again, once again, go follow Cam at Underwood Sports on Twitter, at the State of the U on Twitter as well, and stateoftheu.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're on uh, Instagram, at BC Podcast ACC. We're on Spotify, on iTunes. Uh, you can send us emails uh, to basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Sure. Nailed it. Why is my my brain is like broken right now? I can't talk anymore. I don't know what's going on. Uh, again, I, I think I said the iTunes Spotify bit. Mike, where else you are we did? in the spot? Uh, uh, <laughs> thanks. Where else are we in the social medias? You said Facebook as well, but I'll plug it again. Uh, Facebook.com slash basketball. Yeah. Facebook.com oh, slash basketball conference rate review. Find some of our podcasts there. Maybe even this one. Mike, I'm thinking it's closing time. <laughs> we should probably get out of here. It's closing time for uh, us three working stiffs. Also, <laughs> we have children. So, yes. Yeah. They, they, they. they. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but whole sleep thing is important. I, I have a joke I'll tell you all after we uh, are done recording. So, Good. we'll do that then. Can't wait. Good. Good. I'll make it Cam. into the uh, bloopers. <laughs> Cam, good man. Appreciate it, brother. Anytime, guys. I'll talk to you. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, for Mr. Cam Underwood, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Until next time, go Canes and go ACC. Go Canes.